photo editor of Outside Bozeman Magazine and backcountry skier, Simon Peterson shares why he's not good about keeping secrets about great ski lines in the mountains around Bozeman. Simon Peterson, photo editor for Outside Bozeman Magazine. I'm also a chef for Montana Angler on uh, custom fly fishing trips in the summer. You know, I kind of, I moved to Bozeman to go to Montana State, but predominantly I moved here because I had read about the skiing. So it, depending on who I am talking to, I, I had my priorities straight. I moved here for the skiing and school second, <laughs> but I had really very little backcountry experience. I'd skied in Colorado in the backcountry some, but just totally with no clue about what I was doing, just you know, there wasn't much widespread education at that time. And we just kind of went for it, not really knowing anything about avalanches or what the risks we were taking. I started the hard way without skins, just boot packing for hours and hours to go ski one run, you know, and uh, kind of the classic with my old school backpack, no real approach to it over the years just got a lot more experience got out more um, got more educated and started to feel a little more comfortable assessing the risks out there and then in 2007 I graduated MSU I got a job as photo editor for Backcountry Magazine which they're based out of Vermont and so I was splitting time between Montana and Vermont during their publication season and then that just sort of further fueled my my desire to get out into remote regions and ski peaks and things like that. And it made it, you know, being that it was part of my job, it made it just that much easier to bridge that gap. And really learn and, you know, Drew Hoagie has been a big part of my career because we've been colleagues ever since college. And so Drew's been a great influence on my skiing as far as uh, education and pushing me further on the limits, not only of my, of our abilities, but just, you know, pushing me to become better and more educated and things like that. While I was photo editor for Backcountry, Drew was the editor. So we did a lot of, we did some international trips and we did some, you know, really, really remote regions of Alaska and Canada and did these traverses and these big expeditions. And, you know, there's just no, it's hard to put into put into words the the feeling of adrenaline and just feeling of living and living in the moment that you feel out there when you're out there for a couple of weeks or a week at a time just in these you know remote regions of Yukon and Alaska and and um, my travels as backcountry took me to Iceland and the and the Swiss and Italian Alps a couple of times any situation I've ever been in in the backcountry um, with an avalanche, there's always been warning signs that were ignored, right? There's either temperatures or already avalanche activity going on that you're choosing to ignore um, because of your human factor. You know, if you can learn to play that whole game in your head before you decide what you do, then it really helps your, your outcome. <laughs> Most of my time was spent in the Bridgers. Uh, I worked at Bridger Bowl while I was at Montana State. And so um, this was before there were side country gates that were open. There was a couple places you were allowed to go, but you weren't allowed to go off the top of the ridge. You had to either skin up the west side if you wanted to see the west side. You weren't technically allowed to drop over. Um, so I started basically um, before the new travel plan, we used to go up Ross Pass. Um, before that fork of Bracket Creek got closed to snowmobile access, we used to go up there 
and ski a lot of laps on the playground, which is not beginner training, <laughs> you know, but again, I was sort of a trial by fire kind of person. We spent a lot of time up at Ferry Lake. Um, there's a lot more terrain, uh, terrain options up there. Um, you know, you can go up there and you can ski rowdy lines or you can ski down in the more of the foothills of the peaks and ski, you know, tree stuff that has a lot less avalanche danger and things like that. So we go up and build jumps, you know, just spending time out there in the backcountry really is what I fell in love with was just being away from the crowds and being in the deep snow and, um, and just enjoying the time out there. Right. You know, and then I got skins maybe, uh, I don't know, 2005 or something. And then all of a sudden you can get further easier. Started going to places like Highlight and exploring up there, which is really complex terrain. Beautiful. You can just skin up the trail and you have a great day just skinning up the trail. And then you kind of start diving into some other terrain. And there's, you know, again, long approaches to great skiing if you're willing to do it. But I, I think a lot of a lot of it for me was that side country progression. Once Bridger opened their gates and you are um skiing in the side country it has this you know safety rail or something that you feel like you're holding on to because you're kind of close to help even though you're not really because people aren't going to know necessarily that you're hurt out there or something but um so that that to me was i think the the natural progression from alpine is to start dabbling into the side country just because you feel mentally safer in a way and and that's like i said the game it's all more of a mental game than anything you don't have to take big risks in the side country or back country and it just I mean, it really got me good at skinning you know i got to be a really proficient at skinning up mountains and not and doing switchbacks and all that so you get a lot of practice and then when you get into situations in the back country where you need to make a funny little move you have that experience and that strength to do it you know and uh so i think a lot of that is just the repetitive motion of skinning in a place where you feel comfortable and safe uh, doing things like Bradley Meadows laps, which isn't 100% avalanche free, but it's it rarely slides. So you feel pretty good out there. And, um, and I think that doing some kind of progression like that, where you learn the fundamentals before you're diving into the extreme terrain is huge. And yeah, I mean, avalanche education is so much more abundant now. I've done my level two recreational through Drew. Um, they run a great course because um, they really let you get out there and, and sort of make the decisions. And then they, they debrief after kind of thing, uh, rather than just leading you around and digging pits and saying, this is that. They say, you know, you guys lead the way and we're going to assess your route finding ability and this and that. And the biggest takeaway for me for that was the rescue training, which is where you do all these scenarios and you have three people buried and you have seven minutes, you have to dig, you know, find them and then dig out the, the transceiver and things like that. And that practice is just invaluable because in the time of need, you're not going to be thinking clearly, you're just going to be acting, reacting, right? And it, and it has a stigma to it of, oh, if I don't find it right away, well, you have to practice. Um, even I had some friends in college that would do beers and brats and beacons and we'd go grill and, and just, you know, go cruise around and dink around with our beacons and just practice from time to time you know and and it's that it's crucial to have that repetitive and every year at least a couple times you should go out there with your friends or with someone and do do some fake scenarios and just use your beacon so that when if the time ever comes you just react instead of fumbling around i've seen a lot of people in those scenarios don't even know how to turn their beacon on to 
search mode and things like that. And in a life or death situation, that can be the, the seconds that make the difference. One of my best friends passed away on Saddle Peak a few, three years ago, Tony Saraselli. And his parents actually donated money. And now there is a Beacon Park below South Bowl off of Piers Knob, kind of like below the, the whirlpools there. There's a, there's a Beacon Park and um, partially in Tony's name from the donation that his parents made. And there's, there's plenty of other ways to practice. You know, the, the patrollers bury stuff all over the mountain to go f- and then go practice finding it in, in sort of steeper terrain where, there, where it actually would happen instead of a flat area, you know, adds that element of slope angle and different uh, obstacles that could be blocking the signal and things like that. We have basically a network of ski junkies who all they do is follow the weather, right? So we're following the weather, we're looking at snow tell sites, we're seeing where it snowed, what the temperatures were, this, that. And so there's a pretty good network of, of friends is, is crucial to mine because we're going, I don't, I haven't been paying attention. What should we ski? You know, and they're going, well, I think this is going to be great. You know, this, we have this and this option. And, and this guy goes, well, I saw the snow tell it's no nine inches over here. I think we should go. I think if it's stable, I think we should go hit it. So that's a huge part of how we decide what we're going to do. And it's always basically from mid March through June, you know, there's not a lot of peak bagging that I do in the winter per se. Um, It's sort of once it starts to settle out and the temperatures warm up a little bit and the snowpack settles, It's, it's all about timing, you know, and not being afraid to turn around if you get out there and you were you guessed wrong and it was not great conditions um something like gallatin peak we skied that uh, when it was corn snow so when it was a solid snowpack it was a sort of dry april and we're going it's it's solid we're going to be able to ski corn and it's going to be an easy you know safe approach and so that's when we did it and we do it early in the morning before it warms up you know i think we left the beehive trailhead in the dark we had headlamps on and then we're climbing up into bear basin in the you know at sunrise and so you're the earlier the better with with ski stuff i have a friend that has skied all four aspects of gallatin on one day solo (laughs) and he you know he he's an animal i think his way of approaching was to go down head a beehive down all the way around then he booted up the north kuwar skied down that booted back up his boot pack so we got to use his boot pack twice and then he started skiing the other aspects and i think he might use his boot pack even again yeah that's not normal <laughs> <laughs> i think most people are pretty happy just ski if they're going to gallatin they ski at the peak and they're fine with that well there's a really good one up highlight divide peak so if you go all the way up the highlight lake trail that fork you go past grotto falls all the way to the end of all the way basically to highlight lake uh-huh. but instead of taking the left you take the right drink you go right and so left to the lake you go right like you're going to squad divide then there's a there's a peak up there divide peak that again it's one of those peaks like last year it slid but it rarely slides you know it's it's an angle that is barely avalanche slope and so you can go up there when it's high danger get it way up high and you know feel pretty good about it instead of you know being feeling like you're stuck down in the lowlands during a during an avalanche cycle or something and that's a great one just because the scenery and the mellow slope angles that you can ski and then and all the way you're looking at 
Twin Falls and all these beautiful highlight things. It's very popular too. You know, you go up there on a decent day and you're going to see other parties up there. You know, that just comes from years of living here in a way too, because you kind of know which mountain ranges when the time to go there is. You know, we always look at the crazies and you, we pretty much wait to go to the crazies until May. We got, I got maybe three peaks in the crazies this year in May. And again, just kind of waiting it out and saying, I think that the conditions are ripe and we're going to go for it and get out there and, and you're sometimes right. Other peaks close to Bozeman. You know, as far as technical terrain, there's Branham Peaks in the tobacco routes, um, which is right by Bell Lake Yurt. And so ideally you stay at the yurt to access it, but it's also doable as a day trip. And that's got some of, I think, the premier couloir skiing around. Four or five major couloirs and a couple other variations you can do on them. An hour drive and then, you know, a couple hours of skinning and then you're, you're at your, your destination. I, I'm really drawn to the crazies just because of the aesthetic nature of the mountains. There's such big relief in those mountains. You're skiing three, 4,000 foot lines and you just don't know, you know, and they're likely wind loaded at the top. I skied Conical Peak this year, which is a pretty, for the crazies, is about as mellow as you're going to get. We have the conditions we could skin right to the summit, you know, and so didn't even take our skis off once from, from the car to the summit. Emigrant's great because by a certain time of spring, you can basically drive right to the bottom of the steep skiing, you know, up that mining road, that old mining road. And uh, there's a little inholding of forest service land that you can park on way up there. It's pretty easy access for what you get. To get to the actual peak is not a gimme, you know, because if you're climbing the Southeast Kular in the morning and the sun's hitting it, you have a giant cornice on top of you. It's really necessary to get up there before the sun started to turn the snow into mank or whatever but it's just an incredible run. And then there's that whole basin just has an, an insane amount of skiing. You know, you can go South Ridge of Emigrant comes down and then comes around into a big cirque. And so I've been up there days where you ski it from the peak and then you go ski the North facing lines after because that aspect is still holding the good snow. That's also, I've been up there and turned around at the bottom of the bottom of all the steep skiing because, you know, it's, just too sketchy in the winter sometimes up there but you know just skiing down that basin is incredible it's steep skiing all the way to your snowmobile or all the way to your car and you just incredible views of the, of the absorcas right there there shouldn't be any secrets because we need the user days to progress the sport to keep the accesses open we're getting more populated it's our sports becoming more popular all you have to do is drive 15 more minutes and you're going to find a spot where there's nobody, right? Or you just, you're going to go into these zones that not many, still not many people are going. I don't like the secretive, you know, oh, hush, hush, keep that a secret because how did, how did you learn about it? You know, you learned about it from someone probably. So, you know, teach the next person and maybe just maybe they'll become your friend. Maybe they're a great skier and they're fun to ski with. I'm not very good at keeping secrets about that stuff. <laughs> so, um, and especially with the internet, the way it is these days, if you want to find out something, you're going to find it out anyway. So there's places I've been going for 17 years now where we still don't see anybody. And I tell everybody about it. I say, come down. Once you get a couple hours away from any of these populated areas, you know, you're, you're, you're on your own. Sometimes you want to see more people because <laughs> like you said, you know, you want to keep the accesses flowing. You want to keep the interest going so that these lands don't get turned into the wrong hands and 
managed improperly. You know, we need to show people that we're out there and, and using this land in a way. Come back to thelastbestski.com for more interviews and the scoop on skiing in Southwest Montana. Until next time, happy trails.